going to be reading from the book of Genesis today, chapter 30, verses 25 to 43. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along. Before we do that, I'll take a moment here and pray. Father, we thank you for all of the good gifts you have given to us. And we celebrate the excitement and joy of looking forward to your return, even as we celebrate your birth. And in this season of busyness and celebration and excitement, I pray that you would fill our hearts with compassion for the poor, awareness of those who are shut in, lonely and hurting. Father, give us eyes to see those who need care and encouragement and love and help us not to be too busy we thank you for your word we thank you for your spirit and i pray that you will be active and present today encouraging us and convicting us Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 and following. As soon as Rachel had become, had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I had found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the strip 
and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stranger, whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Good morning. So good to see you all. So good to sing with you all. Our time apart this last year has made me value singing with you so much more. I really enjoy worshiping our God together. Jeremiah asks, Jeremiah 12, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Ancient Israel, perhaps even more so than people today, understood and, <coughs> excuse me, expected that the righteous should prosper. And yet they too saw that seeming inconsistency of what they observed in life. Jacob, like his father and grandfather before him, received a direct promise from God that as his chosen one, God would bless him and keep him and prosper his way. And this blessing of prosperity to God's people is echoed throughout Genesis in the joint command promise, both command and promise, to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. So this prosperity was experienced by the Old Testament saints through fertility, both biological and material, through health and long life, and in victory over their enemies. And to, to be experiencing the fullness of blessing was literally to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Is there a way that I cannot echo quite so much? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we're in Genesis this morning again, and our passage in Genesis continues the narrative of Jacob's life, um, which moves along in a, sort of a rambling way without giving any clear instructions to the reader or any novel theological statements, only the straightforward assertion that Jacob bears a promise that will not fail. In this, our passage is a companion story to the previous episode, which we looked at last week regarding the fertility of Jacob's wives. There they wrestled with each other and with God to gain the prosperity of family. We learned that barrenness is not a barrier to the fulfillment of God's blessing. And we saw that their sinful behavior did not go undisciplined by their loving Heavenly Father, but that the blessing would ultimately not rely on their wrestling and their devices, but on the mercy of God who is faithful. All, all of the same points can be made from this passage this morning. 
as it moves on to the blessing of material goods, which was promised to Jacob, but which he does not yet enjoy. You see, even after uh, Jacob receives the blessing, he comes empty-handed to Laban. After fleeing Esau and leaving behind... Whoa. Awesome. Making this so so easy on me, Mark. Thanks. (laughs) Jacob leaves behind the blessing, right? He, He... Uh, escapes Esau, runs from murderous Esau, leaving behind the birthright and inheritance that he had bought from his brother and swindled from his father. And now after 14 years of exploitative service to Laban, he has the prosperity of family, that biological fertility, but he lacks any of the material prosperity he was promised. Jacob's blessing is being enjoyed by Esau and Laban. The wicked prosper, and not just so, but at the expense of Jacob, who has nothing. So where we are in this uh, text, Jacob has now worked for 14 years and has no real material possession at all. He's been granted the inheritance of his father and then left it behind. Now he is working with Laban, who oppresses him and uses him. And we come to verse 25. Let's read the first few verses again together. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Now, this is a a timely portion here in the life of uh, Jacob's family because until now, Rachel had not yet borne any children of her own. And so there was a threat in that day that uh, having no children of her own, she would be shamed and discarded as a cursed and barren woman. And, And we looked at this a little bit last week, but this was the entire purpose of the bride price that Jacob had slaved for. And the need to remain close uh, to her family, who would then take responsibility for her if her husband would leave her. So because she couldn't bear children, he might kick her to the curb. This is why they would bring a bride price, so that she would be cared for. Having been a married woman, someone else may not want to marry her, knowing she has been married and is also barren. So then the family would have the means to take care of her. So this new husband, Jacob, would provide this price, and he worked hard for it because he, again, had nothing and put himself into endangered servitude with Laban. And so there's a sense now at which the birth of Joseph, that this is what the family has been waiting for. Although they don't know the greater reason, God's reason, 
which is that through Joseph, this family would be preserved through a terrible famine to come. Through Joseph, he would position them in Egypt, where God would rescue them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, showing his power and his glory as he rescued a multitude of slaves, led them into freedom, and made from them a people for himself. And so this all formulates uh, God's plan. They're waiting a son so they can go back home to Jacob's home. God has a plan for this last son whom Rachel bears, Joseph. And so this forms a second major connection with other texts because the original audience would have seen a foreshadowing here of the Exodus events. Like Israel's 400 years in Egypt, slavery there, Jacob had been kept from his homeland working as an indentured slave. He wants to make good on his vow, Genesis 28, 20, to return to his homeland to worship the Lord there. But just as the Egyptians will try to keep Israel enslaved, Laban is loath to lose his valuable and essentially free labor. Jacob asks, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. And he hopes that Laban will send him with his wives and children, albeit empty-handed, which in that culture would have been really quite unthinkable. Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 14 requires that a slave owner send even slaves away after only six years of service with a liberal supply of flocks, grain, and wine, essentially so that they would be taken care of after six years of service. They could start their own farm. How much more then should Laban have sent away his own flesh and blood, his nephew, with a full supply? Instead, Laban wanted to keep exploiting Jacob's valuable labor, and when that didn't work, he would later, in 3142, try to send him away with nothing. All this, after Laban recognized, or or learned by divination, verse 27, that the prosperity he was experiencing was a direct result of the Lord's blessing on Jacob. God through whatever means Laban employed, allowed him to see that his prosperity was only through Jacob. So that Laban would acknowledge his blessing on Jacob, even as God had caused kings in the past to acknowledge his blessing on Abraham and Isaac before him. Jacob also points out, verse 30, that Laban had little, but has now increased abundantly because of God's blessing through him. The point is made, and it is agreed upon here, that God is the giver of prosperity, and that it is given through his chosen one, in this case, Jacob. So Laban wanted to continue to enjoy God's blessing through Jacob, so he wants him to stay. Name your wages, he tells him. And he said this before, so we should probably cringe Because this statement is an echo of the first sour deal Laban made with Jacob. When Laban says, name your wages, you know Laban's up to something. And tells us that we should anticipate he intends to take advantage of Jacob once again. Verse, second part of verse 31 here. Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. 
If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look at my, look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. So Jacob lays out the plan. And once again, he seems to disadvantage himself in his dealings with Laban. He has paid almost four times the normal amount in labor for the wife that he sought. Now he makes a deal to work for far less than the average wages of a shepherd. Ancient shepherd contracts show that normally a shepherd was paid uh, usually about 20% of the flock, as well as a portion of all the wool and milk byproducts that they produced. But in the Mediterranean world, the sheep are usually white and the goats are usually black. Only the irregular or abnormal offspring would be speckled or spotted, far fewer than the 20% that a shepherd would normally gain from his employment. So both Jacob and Laban see an advantage here. Laban wanted Jacob to stay and care for his livestock because everything Jacob touched prospered. Wherever he turned, Laban was blessed. Jacob, on the other hand, agreed to stay because he was confident that God would provide for him in time. He would later explain to his wives, Genesis 31, 9-12, he said, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So, to, to understand this, Jacob is blessed by God. But who's experiencing the blessing? Up until now, only Laban. And both men now agree to Jacob's proposal because they believed that each believed it would work out only to their own advantage. Laban sees an employee that he can have for far less than the average price of an employee and one who, ha through him, he has been greatly prospered. And Jacob already knows through a dream that God has told him that the mottled, striped, and spotted goats are going to be the ones that produce offspring in the flock. But there's a twist. Genesis 30, 35. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So as expected, Laban does not deal honestly with Jacob but tries to limit Jacob's wages by taking unfair advantage yet again. What we should understand is he does not explicitly violate the agreement. Jacob's wages were not the existing irregular animals. 
but any spotted or speckled animals born from that point on would be his wages. And this is what Jacob means when he says, verse 31, you shall not give me anything. So he's not saying, you shall not give me anything, but I would like a huge portion of your flock, please. He's saying, you're not going to give me anything. Here's how this is going to work. You're going to give me nothing, but then those who are born, that are spotted or speckled goats or lambs that are black, they will belong to me. But Laban is deceitful. And just as he had deceived Jacob into marrying both of his daughters, Laban takes an underhanded action that was not anticipated by the explicit terms of the agreement. He removes all of the discolored animals from the breeding pool, which under normal circumstances would have drastically reduced the number of irregular animals being born, and thus reducing Jacob's wages in an effort to keep Jacob working for him as long as possible. See, he's not, now his motivation is not just that he wants to pay Jacob less because he's cheap. He wants to pay Jacob less because he wants Jacob to work for him as long as he can because his service is so valuable to him. He wants to keep him enslaved. And so Laban cheats Jacob, but in a way in which he can maintain the self-deception that he has not broken his word. He acts wickedly which in the Old Testament means to serve self at the expense of others. He seeks to maximize his benefit by minimizing Jacob's. But God has a plan for the works of the wicked. Here he highlights the supernatural blessing on Jacob by allowing him to begin with no irregular animals at all. Verse 37 Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, in the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. For, but for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. As with the previous passage regarding Jacob's wives, Jacob tries to employ strategies and devices to achieve prosperity. The sisters had utilized their servant girls to produce more children for Jacob, and God used it. And through them, produced the 12 tribes of Israel. Rachel traded for mandrake with the superstitious hope that it would produce fertility in her. But ultimately, by the end, came to understand that prosperity comes from God alone. Jacob utilized two devices as well. Selective breeding, which if it had been a longer time period, might have played a part in the success of his flocks. And he engages in a second practice in accord with the common superstitious belief that a vivid sight during conception or pregnancy would leave its mark on the embryo. And so 
Thus, mating herds might produce mottled young if they were to look upon mottled sticks. Now, this, there's no scientific evidence of this whatsoever. It was a superstitious act, something akin to sympathetic magic. And there's a clever wordplay here that captures the meaning of the whole section and explaining it, uh, like the prolonged explanation of any joke, takes all the joy out of it. Um, it's kind of like explaining Dr. Seuss in a different language. Uh, <laughs> perhaps another reason why more of us should study biblical languages, but here it goes. Laban means white. It's the word white. So the white one, verse 35, took all the sheep that were not totally white, not totally Laban, away. And then Jacob, verse 37, peeled white streaks, Laban streaks, into sticks to expose the Laban of them. So it's actually written in a way that's both humorous and ironic. Uh, previously, Jacob took from Esau, whose nickname Edom means red, by means of red stew. So he tripped up red with red stew. Now he takes on the white one with white branches. And ultimately, the point is that he played Laban's game here. He played the white game and won. Both of Jacob's devices betray his own unrighteousness. The superstitious practice, and as Laban's hired shepherd to intentionally breed the flock to strengthen his own livestock and weaken Laban's, this is wickedness. Jacob serves himself at the expense of others. Again, it was not by this wickedness that Jacob achieved the intended results. By the end, he will recognize that his prosperity comes only from the Lord. Now, with the exception of the wickedness of disadvantaging others, there is nothing wrong with us making a plan to succeed. In fact, even as these people in these stories try to achieve prosperity that can only come from God, there's no real rebuke of them. Although we see the way that Laban and Jacob are constantly trying to wrestle back and forth in their deceptive practices. But there's nothing wrong with trying to make a plan to succeed. The, the purpose of a business is to turn a profit. People invest in order to make a dividend or to see the value of their investment increase. Many people marry with the intention of having children and building a family. For these intentions, the Bible offers no criticism. Only the vital knowledge that all true blessing comes from God. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. And so those who experience material prosperity, as we talked about this week, or, or biological prosperity, as we talked about last week, must acknowledge that it is the blessing from the Lord and not the product of our own abilities. And we cannot connect prosperity to righteousness. Health and wealth are not reliable signs of God's favor and blessing. As we saw in this passage, the wicked prosper for a time, and always at the expense of others. And so the fact that someone has material prosperity, like Laban, could be because they are oppressors, exploiting those who work for them, or those who look up to them. 
true prosperity is a gift from God. It is the gift. It is never the result of our righteousness, but of His mercy and grace. God is merciful. Both Jacob and his wife Rachel tarnish their faith with superstition. Her with mandrakes and him with his white magic. And despite this, God graciously answers Rachel's prayer for a child and he rewards Jacob with large flocks. Jacob and Laban deserve each other, each trying to deceive the other and take advantage. But God chooses to bless Jacob according to his covenant love. God has expressed his promise to Jacob and not to Laban. And so they deserve each other. They, they have a back and forth. They continue to sow and reap and reap and sow what this deception that they are inflicting upon each other. But ultimately, God still chooses Jacob because it's not according to Jacob's righteousness that he has blessed, but God who is faithful to his promise. In the end, Jacob was blessed far more than he expected. When he received the promise in chapter 28, verse 20, he thought in terms of food and clothing. He leaves Laban with abundance. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power of Christ at work within us. And so where at first it was Laban who was prospered abundantly while oppressing Jacob and his wives, at the end it is Jacob who God increased greatly. And this phrase used to describe the blessing on Jacob is used elsewhere in various forms of God's blessing for his chosen ones. It is used to describe the blessing of God on Israel. When they are slaves in Egypt, they are fruitful and they multiply. They become a a strong nation while they're enslaved, just as Jacob has. It's used to describe the rise of King David in 2 Samuel 3.1 and and then to describe the beginning of Jesus' own ministry, Luke 2.52, as he increased in wisdom and in stature and in the favor of God and man. And finally, it is used to describe the flourishing of God's church through the word four different times in Acts, Acts 6-7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. See, increased and multiplied is this continued theme throughout the Bible of God's blessing on his people. Look back to that first blessing on Adam and Eve that was then carried forth throughout those who God chose throughout Genesis, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. And God continues to work this out for his chosen ones in his blessing. And so the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied. And in Acts 9.1, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied, Acts 12, 24. And Acts 19, 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
What will become even more apparent in the following passages that like Israel, as they came out of Egypt, Jacob would leave his land of oppression, possessing the material goods of his oppressor. Egypt, like Laban, was greatly blessed because of God's chosen people. Because Joseph was led by God to him and served as a shrewd steward of all he had, the king of Egypt would come to possess all of the land and wealth within a vast and expanded domain. And like Laban, rather than to join with the blessed people of God, Egypt chose instead to exploit God's people and to put them to hard labor, refusing to let them go back to the land God had promised. During an extended time, 400 years, Israel would suffer slavery under those who ought to have honored God and appreciated them for the blessing of God given through them. Like Jacob's family here, his descendants would multiply, Exodus 1-7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Do you see how God's promise to his people is being fulfilled? He commands and promises, be fruitful and multiply. What happens to them even under oppression? They're fruitful. And they multiply. And this is what happens to Jacob's family. God would win a great victory over Egypt. And his people would plunder the land, Exodus 12, 36. Like their ancestor Jacob, they would walk out of the land with the possessions of their enemies. Old Testament passages like this one express the truth of God to us today in examples of God's faithfulness to his promise despite the failures of his people. But these examples are shadows of the things to come. The greater blessing fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The fruitfulness and the dominion which belong to those whose hope is in Christ. The clear message is that God is faithful to his promise to prosper his chosen people. Nothing and nobody can get in the way of that. Not oppressors, not the failings of his people, not the schemes. God is faithful to keep his promise. This is, this is the primary message here. But today, realization of God's promise is in the already but not yet fulfillment of Christ's victory on the cross. The already but not yet is something we talk about fairly regularly here. It's the idea that Jesus fully won every victory. He granted us every blessing. Every heavenly blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. There is an already of everything. Jesus has won the victory. It is finished. And then we see a quite, not quite yet, of experiencing these things. So you and I, if we are in Christ, are inheritors of every heavenly blessing, and yet we're not rolling in it now. We are promised perfect health in our glorified bodies, but do not experience it now. And so this is what we mean by the already but not yet. So while God's favor and blessing was expressed in fertility, both biological and materially, 
in the Old Testament. It is a shadow of the thing to come. The thing that we now experience in Christ, the already but not yet fulfillment of his victory on the cross. Today, oppressors still flourish through exploiting the poor. And the meek will someday inherit the earth and have dominion over it. But for now, we experience the fruitfulness of life in the Spirit and the multiplication of God's people through the gospel ministry of His church. And so you may not have children, and you can still be fruitful. The fruit of the Spirit at work. And you can still multiply as God adds to His people Day by day, Leighton read the passage in Acts this morning already. We do not yet experience the fullness of promised dominion in Christ. Hebrews 12, 8 says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That's true, right? We know that all things have been put in subjection to his feet, but we do not yet see all things in subjection to him. We eagerly await his return. This is the Sunday of preparation in which we look forward to and eagerly await his return by living in fruitfulness and by multiplying. For the day he returns, he will exercise everlasting dominion over all the nations of the world, Daniel 7, when all wrongs will be righted and we will receive the full reward of Christ's obedience. Like Jacob under the oppression of Laban, like Israel in Egypt, we too can trust in the promise of our loving and faithful Father. For now, we are called to fruitfulness, the result of loving Christ and walking in the Spirit. For now, and beginning in Acts, God's people experience the blessing of increase and multiplication through proclaiming the gospel to this broken world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. For through your spirit, it is always pertinent to us. It is always what we need. And Lord, we thank you for the promise and command to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. And we thank you that it is fulfilled through Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would walk in that confidence of our hope. That we would look to your promise and it would change us as we recognize that we have every blessing in you. That you are always faithful to fulfill what you have promised, and you have promised so much. And so, God, as we live our lives day by day in a broken and fallen world, I pray that we would eagerly await your dominion over all things, being expressed in our reality, and that we would be prepared for your return by walking in the fruitfulness of your spirit and the multiplication of gospel ministry so that 
at your return, we will have fulfilled the charge you gave us to preach the gospel and make disciples. We ask this for the glory of Jesus and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.